Hey, crew. Yeah. Can I give you a private lesson on the pottery wheel at Brooklyn Clay? Huh. Well, I'll admit, Brooklyn Clay is the place to take private lessons due to their wide variety of cone six glazes. Okay. But I'm not going to take a private lesson with you because I'm never going to do ghost with you, no matter how many times you keep asking. And I think it would make everyone very uncomfortable at Brooklyn Clay. <laughs> what? <laughs> me? Yeah, you heard me. <laughs>
what he was really upset about was that the guy had um, workout equipment in the gallery during open hours. Yeah, that's not you, right? Like you're... No, that is, I don't have time to work out. So <laughs> there's no workout equipment in my life at all. Okay, well, that's both sad and good. <laughs> I think at the same time, I'm kind of happy for you. And I'm also like, I don't know. It's, I don't know if that's good. Um, you have a gallery. Tell me about your space. First of all, where are you located? So my studio is called Riverside Pottery. It is in Cape Girardeau, Missouri, which is on the Mississippi down in the, the southeast corner of Missouri. Uh, not quite down to the boot heel, but close. Um, That's crazy. And yeah, yeah. It, it's a, a you know little town. It's, you know, what, 30, 40,000 people, something okay. like that. Um, Okay. And then why are you there? Are you from there? Like what's... Yeah. So I went to undergrad there at Southeast Missouri State University, uh, got my art ed degree there and my ceramics degree there. And my family's from that area as well. Um, okay, and cool. my wife lives like her family's from just across the river, uh, like an hour away. So it's pretty, pretty central location family-wise. I got to tell you, this is really exciting for me. <laughs> I haven't talked to a Midwesterner in a really long time. It's, <laughs> it's, it's like a wash of warmth that's right. Go, like, I love it so much. Okay. <laughs> so you're basically, I mean, some would argue, are you in the middle of nowhere? I'm not sure. Do you, do if, you if feel you, like you are? I, mean, I, think, I think. No, no. So, so Cape, I would not say is in the middle of nowhere, but it is surrounded by a lot of very small towns that, my wife would assure you are in fact the middle of nowhere um it, it's like the the biggest town within probably 40 50 miles oh okay uh, the next biggest place would be like north getting towards like the suburbs of st louis okay so tell me about the studio so you decided to open a studio like what brought you to that point Right. So after grad school, I I went to the grad school at uh, SIU in Carbondale. Yeah, that's and great. That's a great school. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, when I was there, it was Patty Chalmers and Jeremy Brooks were the instructors, and they were fantastic to work with. Awesome. Um, but I, I shuffled around doing um, different adjunct jobs at a, a couple different community colleges. Um kind of got put off of that yeah i've done it i do it. it yeah it's we won't go into it too much but there, yeah there was <laughs> i mean listen i'm not a therapist i'm not a licensed therapist <laughs> so i don't feel qualified Woo, because i'm sure we could go hours into how sad that life is yeah yeah so so after after being done with that uh my wife and i decided well, we'll try doing privately so we set up a private community studio in cape and it has a big studio space for teaching classes, a retail gallery shop thing, and then a exhibition gallery where we have rotating shows. Okay, so how long have you been open? Right at two years. Okay. We opened in September of 2020. How's it going? Okay, we're still there. So, you know, it That's can't great. be too bad. Um, we weren't 100% sure which side of the studio would bring in more business the like sales and gallery side or the the classes side and it's definitely been classes um 
right. we, we've had a, a pretty steady flow of students taking six week classes. And then uh, we also do like shorter one day workshop things as well. And uh, we also offer like monthly membership programs where people can you know, pay a monthly fee and then they have 24 hour access to the studio. And we've got uh, a handful of people that do that as well. And, and we do date night. Got you. And then who is coming to date nights? This is so exciting because I taught oh, a lot. I've taught a lot of date date night. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. Um, that's everybody. We've had, you know, early 20s all the way up into like 70s and 80s <laughs> coming awesome. into for date nights. Yeah. Uh, do you teach them? Yep. Have, has anyone ever been so bad that you were like, I don't I don't know how to fix this. <laughs> Um, <laughs> you're, where you're like, I try oh. to keep a positive attitude with the students. <laughs> I don't, I don't want them to feel like they're failing. Like it's supposed to be a, a fun evening. You know, it's, it, it occupies this weird space between like education and entertainment yeah. because a lot of these people, they're, they're not going to come back and, and take more classes. Some do, but you know, a lot of them it's like, ah, eh, it's just a fun, interesting thing to do on a date night. So I don't want to be the person that like ruins their date night. So, you know, we get them <laughs> making some little cups or something. And, you know, most people are, are happy enough with that, but <laughs> do you, do they walk in and you go, do you smoke? Cause you're about to make an ashtray. <laughs> the, yeah yeah i try to set set expectations at a reasonable level so so they don't you know try to take on too much has it ever been a situation where it's like a first date and when you're like oh i don't know about this couple this isn't gonna work out it's it's kind of weird we get we get some people like a lot of married couples who come in um some people that might be like early relationship like a few months in um but i don't think we've got any first dates okay good uh i had a i had a couple come in during the day and they it was like about 12 o'clock and they were they were drunk for sure <laughs> and the guy was he was like i've done ceramics before and i was like cool what about you and she was like no never and i was like okay and so then when they sat down to do it um he couldn't do it at all like it just <laughs> wasn't working out and she she sort of like got really quiet he got more frustrated and angry and she got <laughs> quieter and quieter until i i mean i didn't even know what to do so uh i i just sort of like <laughs> like you're just like looking at the clock like how yeah is, yeah how is this gonna end like all of it, like their relationship, <laughs> my teaching career, you know what I mean? Where you're just like, oh man, I don't know, man. <laughs> yeah, that's an awkward situation. No, I think the the worst thing we've had with that is people who, it's usually the the husbands or boyfriends, but um, sometimes they're just completely disinterested and they'll, you know, they'll play around for a little bit and then like just stop halfway through and they'll be like, all right, I'm done. <laughs> like, okay. <sighs> And you're just like, is it me? And then you're like, no, it's <laughs> no, definitely it's you. It's, yeah. <laughs> definitely you're an asshole. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so you have a gallery space. And yep. what's your plan for this space? It's exciting. Part of the gallery space is completely selfish because <laughs> uh, I don't get to go to like big openings and stuff like that since Cape is a pretty small town. So part of it's just to get good pots 
where I can see them. So, so <laughs> okay, inviting artists and, and that kind of stuff, but also to, to kind of bring a little bit more culture and specifically ceramic culture to the area. Um, when I was in undergrad, it was like a big thing where they would have first Friday openings and you know, there were like four or five different galleries that were open downtown and everybody would go gallery hopping one place to the next. And that's kind of fallen by the wayside a little bit since then. So um, trying to have another place where people can show work and, and another place people can go on first Friday openings. Yeah, to just get people that's exposed cool. to the arts in general a little more. What you're doing sounds so cool. It's like so cool. I love it. So now you're thinking about doing a juried exhibition yep. and then you're like, I'm going to make people pay as much as I can possibly squeeze. <laughs> no, wait, what? No, that's not what you're doing. No. no. You, so let's talk about the fee. So, I can see both sides of this, but yeah, please. It's a, I, I really went back and forth on the fee, whether to charge a fee at all or how much to charge, because I know like a lot of people that enter juried shows, especially, you know, juried shows from a new gallery where you don't know what the space is or anything like that. Um, they're beginning level artists or students a lot of times, and you don't have a ton of cash to throw down on the chance of getting into a show. But at the same time, we do also have to, you know, pay the juror and, you know, set up for the show refreshments, that kind of stuff. And also shipping back and forth, you know, the applicants are going to ship their work to the gallery obviously but right. uh, stuff that does not get sold we'll go ahead and take on shipping costs for that and ship the work back to them so um yeah so it sounds pretty reasonable right and then if there's a profit what's going to happen to the profit you're gonna buy a lambo with yeah, like yeah gonna... that's that's right up my alleys <laughs> lamborghinis fast cars <laughs> Uh, no, I mean, it all goes back into the studio. So uh, the building that we're in was built in 1937. Cool. So it's an old space. Um, it was originally built as a Jewish synagogue, uh, kind of a, a stucco building with a red tile roof. And being that old, it, it does need some upkeep. So a lot of profits from you know shows or whatever go back into maintenance and upkeep of the, the gallery space itself Right. And and renovating that. Okay, the argument is like you wouldn't really pay to be in a like people would invite you to be in a show. You wouldn't necessarily pay to be in a show. I mean, a, almost everything you apply to now takes an entry fee, regardless of whether yeah. it's a nonprofit, a for-profit, whatever it is. Yep. So and I would love to be able to have people apply without a fee, but it's a gallery, but it's still a business. So we do have costs that we have to cover. And, you know, to make it a nice evening, a nice opening for everybody, we want to to be able to, you know, get refreshments and that kind of stuff too. So, And by refreshments, you mean uh, beer, beer, beer. So much beer. Yeah, we might have a cooler <laughs> or two, you know. it's uh... All right, I'm in. Okay, I just, I'll, I'm going to apply to be in the show and then fly, fly out for the beer part. Uh, okay, so we... I guess, fuck us, I guess, like that, you're going to pay, <laughs> you're going to pay to be in, like, you're going to be right. in the show. Well, and I guess one, one of my big questions for, for him was, like, if he's not thrilled with advertising shows in the back of Ceramics Monthly and a classified, because right. there is a certain connotation with listing things in classifieds. It's like you're picking up a used mattress or something, and <laughs> you don't, you know. Um, 
But if if that's the case, then like, where do you advertise shows? Right. There is one more thing that I wanted to add about the whole juried exhibition thing. Not like not a lot of people do it, but ceramics definitely does it. Like there's a history of it's not like you're going to be the first person to do it. Right. People have been doing this for years and years and years. It's not a new thing. Right. Yeah. And then for a lot of people, it's like a really big deal. Like, yeah, it's like their first show or it's like a big deal to get into shows. Yeah, it's exciting. I mean, you you get that, well, I guess it'd be email now, but uh, you get that message back that your pieces your pieces have been accepted into the show. And it's like, awesome. Yeah, right. Yeah. It makes you feel like a, a legitimate artist having your stuff displayed somewhere other than your parents' house. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. Although my parents did have an amazing Cami Clamaco gallery. <laughs> it was it was like a ret- it was a retrospective <laughs> it was a that I kept adding to it was awesome um okay I guess my answer to you would be Instagram right like pay for a sponsored ad on Instagram and throw a million hashtags on it and you'll get everybody yeah everybody we've, we've tried we i mean we've done that for other um, classes and stuff in the past and done promoted posts on instagram and facebook stuff how to go I, they they do seem to do pretty well um i guess that's <laughs> yeah that's i guess it. that's just how you do it now so yeah that is that's the only but i'm like i'm curious do people still read ceramics monthly i don't know i don't either I stopped reading it a while ago just because I didn't have the extra cash to pay for a subscription anymore. Yeah. And as the magazine started piling up everywhere. What about like, there's this thing called NIFA, which is like NIFA.org. And it's it's a New York uh, nonprofit that lists every all the classifieds. So, but they list the classifieds from all over the country. So that could be something that you could look at and then go down a rabbit hole of then get into every state's classified where you would have to put it. That sounds crazy. Yeah. I what I as it came out of my mouth, it sounded crazy. <laughs> I was like, this doesn't work out. This isn't gonna work out. But that is a big deal though. A lot of people do read NIFA, I think even beyond New York State. I think there I think there could be enough of I think enough people do still read ceramics monthly that it's worth you know, it. even if it's like a, a a studio at a school that has a subscription for the studio and students are flipping through it or whatever. Um, it's like, could be an Avenue, but I, yeah, I don't, I'm, I don't I'm really not sure. I don't either. I think, <laughs> I mean, I just would go with Instagram cause that just, that's where I spend most of my day. Yeah. Uh, I just admitted that. So that's weird. <laughs> I feel weird about that. Okay. Well, I guess this was really fun to talk to you. I could probably talk yeah. to you forever, but I guess I got to wrap it up since this is just going to be an intro. Yeah. But I really appreciate <laughs> your writing in. And it's so fun to learn about Riverside Pottery. It sounds great. And for everyone listening, yeah, check it out. Go to the website. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, RiversidePotterystudio.com. There's links for our gallery up there and the, the call for entries. The show that we've got coming up, for October is called Anarchlay in Exploration of Punk Ceramics. So what? Really? kind of leaning that direction. I'm excited. Are you going to put pictures up on Instagram? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> that's where everything goes these days. Yeah, well, for now, for yeah. now, <laughs> probably got another year in it, I guess. We'll yeah, see. we'll see. I'm sure something else will come down the line. Exactly. So, and then um, I'm also getting, it's not up there yet, but I'm getting ready to put up like an open call for spots for the gallery for next year. Um, okay, yeah. And you can, are the, you going to do solo shows too? It looks like we're going to be able to do it again this year is um, hosting BFA thesis shows for the CMO students. Sure. So we'll be doing some of that. We'll have some solo shows uh, depending on how, on how this first juried show goes. We, we might do another juried show next year as well. Uh, so it'll be kind of a, a mix of solo group shows. This is going to be so good. I hope that you make fucking tons of cash off this. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it's a cash cow where rivers of money are flowing into your I just hope people you. apply. That's <laughs> cash. I, I, okay, okay whatever. Or that. Yeah. <laughs> or, just, or just hope people come. See? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's so fun talking to you. Thank you so much. Yeah, I thank really you for the opportunity. It. Yeah, anytime. Uh, yeah, please uh, put up some pics. And I'm going to put a link up to your studio. so people. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, so there it is. My conversation with Rob is so fun and funny. But I have to tell you, I did do a little bit of Googling after our conversation. And yeah, Ceramics Arts Network is the place to put an ad for an open call. And also Instagram, because after our conversation, I was in the stories and an open ceramics call just flitted right past my face. Okay, so a few months ago, Gus and I got to have an interview with Barry Zipperstein, and I'm so excited to finally get this to you. We have been trying to do it for a while, and it's just like, now's the time. So I'm so happy that you get to hear it. Barry is just an amazing artist, designer, entrepreneur, uh, ceramicist. There's just, you can't really put her in a box. She's that kind of powerhouse. Her work is beautiful and you know she works on really big pieces and you know how much I love women that work on really big pieces. A lot. Let me tell you, it's a lot. Barry's work really does feel so LA to me. It just really has that old Hollywood deco to modernism to mid-century modernism to, to contemporary feel. So here's the interview. I hope you guys like it. Barry's interesting. Um, so we try and keep it kind of goof, a little goofy, um, and uh, Cammy and I will both try and like really shoehorn some, some ceramic jokes in there at some point, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm ready. Yeah. Okay. So my first question is Gus thinks that you bought uh, one of his pieces <laughs> and I want to know what, what do you see Barry that I don't see? <laughs> I, I, <laughs> Like, what also, you, like, when, I like when he told me, I was like, I don't understand things. why people want you bought your work. I've never wow. been so uncomfortable at the start of it. I love that you're collaborating, and Cammy has no idea why anyone would want us as work. <laughs> Interesting dynamic. Okay, so uh, yes, I do own one of Gus's work, and I live with it in my living room. I bought That's it so probably cool. like what a year and a half ago. Like you had a show with yeah maybe maybe more i'm trying well yeah was it during the pandemic yeah like right in the beginning okay yeah yes yeah got a bird 
Uh-huh. And roses around the back, like hidden. Yeah. And it is hanging on my wall. It's the only thing on the wall except for a giant TV. And nice. I look at it every day, oh, wow. all day. That's great. Yeah. That's oh, I want all my work to be next to a TV too. I like that. <laughs> well, the, the TV is hanging on the wall too. Um, okay. Yeah. And there's a window and um, my ceramic work is underneath it, like a second side table. And nice. um, it's, it's a huge wall and it's a, you know, a, I don't know, 11 by, I don't know how big. Yeah. It it's is. not that big. It's not that big, but it really takes up the wall just in, in terms of its presence because of the detail. Like you're really forced to go up to it, look around it. Um, yeah, it's got like a beautiful little corner. It's, I love living with your work. Oh, yeah. that's, oh, very that's so nice. Oh, yeah, gross. see, this is a real weird Cami master plan to get, <laughs> <laughs> to get some compliments flowing my way. Uh, thanks, um, I, that means a lot. I'm a huge fan, huge that's fan. That's really nice to hear. Right back at you. <laughs> Barry, are you from Ohio? No, I'm originally from the suburbs of Chicago, but I went to um, undergrad at o- Ohio University in Athens, Ohio. Yeah, I saw that on your, yep. uh, like, why? Why? Um, so <laughs> imagine a person in the suburbs of Chicago being sick of the city of Chicago and needing to leave <laughs> and and going, find trying to figure out what, like, art school or liberal you know liberal arts school to go to and um Ohio University was amazing because it was a in the middle of the Appalachian Mountains which I have no experience with nature at the time and um it also had this incredible art program like Maya Lynn grew up there yeah. her father like um did the ceramic uh mosaic on the outside of Siegfried Hall like her house that she grew up in was right next door. Um, they have a myelin on campus and like all the professors were all New Yorkers, like uh, Guy Goodwin who and Christine Heindel who brought in the most amazing visiting artists like Vito Conchi and like, it was just very Laval. Like it was just unbelievable who they brought in. And that's when I realized that, wow, New York painters cannot get jobs in New York. So they go to Ohio to get a job and then commute to New York. And I was like, wow, this is really setting up my life for myself. Very interesting. (laughs) That's crazy. Did you take ceramics there or no? Yeah, I was a painter and did women's studies. And then I almost got a degree in ceramics, but my parents were like, I was already like four years and like a summer and they're like, you can't. Yeah, I needed like another year, but they were like, you know, it's time to go. Yeah, that's such a good ceramics department. It's an amazing ceramics program. Like, um, the people, the graduate program is incredible. Like the kiln pads on the back, like salt, soda, like anything you can imagine. Um, it was pretty traditional for the undergrads, like get on the wheel, hand build teapots. Um, but there was some sculpture going on, but it was, um, pretty traditional in terms of ceramics. Like at the time it was, uh, like bugs and, you know, table. Yeah. 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 And then you went to California. Did you go like yes. directly? It took two years off um, to, you know, whatever, live with my parents in the suburbs of Chicago, my mom and my cool. stepfather. And um, I waitressed, uh, did a couple residencies, and then um, got into CalArts. Um, and I wanted all my undergrad friends went to New York. 
And I was like, no interest in going to New York. I want to go to California. Very I, smart. Very smart. I was like, I love my Subaru. <laughs> let's drive. Let's drive out to, to California. So I got into CalArts and um, yeah, uh, I went to CalArts from 2002 to four. And at the time, you know, they didn't have a kiln. You know, it's all about conceptual art. Michael Asher was my mentor, along with some incredible feminist um, theorists and painters and sculptors. It was an incredible time. It was the end of a certain era when Michael Asher stopped teaching there and Charles Gaines and all these amazing people. Um, so that's that was 20 years ago. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. And then ceramics. Yes. Yeah, so I didn't make any ceramics at CalArts um, for obvious reasons. They did not have the facilities and I wasn't really thinking about clay. I was thinking about painting as sculpture, um, making a lot of installations. It was a very hard time at CalArts, I'd say, um, because I kept trying to rely on my skill set in painting. And they were like, we don't really care about that you have a skill if you like, we don't care about skill here. We yeah. care about like what the meaning of the object is and what is behind it, like the theory. And so I had to really push myself to um, think about how my skill could be used in other ways. Um, and ended up landing on specific projects that really guided me after that. Um, and then when I got out of school, I ended up, you know, working full time because that's what I needed to do um at galleries I was like associate director of galleries or worked for artists as archivists and many different things but throughout that whole time I was taking ceramics classes like re-equating myself with clay at this local community center called Zim Clay which is now called Green Biscuit Clay in Pasadena um and it was really amazing the people that came out of there were amazing. Like you'd turn turn around and like Ricky Swallow would be there or uh, Karen Gagaris would be there. And like, so it's just like really this amazing time, like in 2005 at this little center, probably similar to what, you know, the Brooklyn Clay Center feels like. Um, and then I ended up teaching there. Um, and I also taught for a really long time at, in the UC system, University of California system. Wow, I can't, I, like, I forgot about Ricky Swallow and how amazing. Yeah, he's amazing. Is. Yeah. Yeah. Gus, he's have amazing. you ever seen it? No, I don't know. Wow. It's you, would, you would, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Gus, yeah. you would really, I mean, his early work, I mean, his work now is amazing too, but his early work of the realistic uh, yeah. carving of wood, like wood based uh, carving, I feel like you'd really appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Pop sensibility. Yeah. He's an Australian artist who lives in LA. He's married to Leslie Vance. So then when did you sort of find your voice in ceramics? Like, when were you like, oh, this is, this is me. This is the ceramic me. This is ceramic me. Um, so I was always working clay and tangent to, to teaching at this one center and then teaching sculpture in the UC system or working another job. And it always was based on concepts. So I was like, I need, I need to make this, this thrift store object. I need to remake it in clay in the same material because I want people to kind of have a second glance of how I'm thinking about this object. 
I want to make it more surreal or fuck with this object. I want to have it have a protruding head. So I was like, how do I do that? Do I find the mold? Like, and so I think that's where it started where they're in LA, there's just amazing industries because of um, the movie industry and the prop industry here. So I found this place who makes slipcast molds of these kitschy objects. And I normally people would just get them, you know, uh, bist and they paint them. Right. But I went into the factory and was like, I need this stuff wet. Like I'm, can I pick up like a hundred bust heads so I can chop (laughs) them up away from the mold. And I like pick them up and some of them wouldn't make it in my car, like back to the studio. And so for me, it was about, that was how I redid that. And then I went to Anderson Ranch, which helped me relearn hand building at a larger scale because it's an amazing program and such experts there and the kilns and just the dedicated time in 2012. And ever since then, I, st- I don't just the slip casting anymore. And I, it was all about the hand building at a larger scale. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, so I think for anybody that's listening, I think it makes sense to like, I, I really often during this will probably like flip back and forth between like the work, your personal work and then the B zippy line, because I, uh, I mean, the B zippy line was the, I think the, the first stuff of yours that I saw, like, I think that was how I, I learned about you. Um, and so much of it is like this pretty large, even the small, like the, I was scrolling through the website today and it's like the tabletop items are still yeah. pretty bit, you know, you're not making like espresso cups and pie plates and things like that. No. Did you ever, did no you ever have a, yeah. Interest. I was like, <laughs> wait, how much would I sell that for? No, those margins are not very good. And I don't throw. So just like, I do know how to throw. I just was like, I'm not interested. No, I'm, I come, it always comes through a sculptural bent. And I was like, there's so many great people that makes mugs and I have a whole collection. I'd rather be the collector and the user rather than the maker. Yeah. Like, so, um, yeah, I only, so if you go back to thinking about my multiple practices, if we like, start there like the studio now is is under an umbrella called Barry Zipperstein Studio and it has um three outputs so we have um B Zippy which is the production line which also within it has collectible design which only sells right now at the Future Perfect which is um, limited edition furniture ceramic furniture and planters and then B Zippy is more the open edition that we have a line sheet for it, you know, so many colors and we do custom work as well. And most of our work is sold through interior designers and wholesalers. And then we have another output of the studio is my fine art practice, which is all built by me. Um, But I wouldn't be able to make it without the scale of the studio and the infrastructure. So we have 15 full-time people at the studio, which includes like the administrators, the, the shipper, you know, the packing and shipping people and everything, but we have eight to 10 large kilns. So, and we have two people that just do slabs. So imagine That's if so I give crazy. my, <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. so I mean, like, did you ever think that this would be your, like, that you'd be able to have 15 employees? Um, it grew really organically. No, I mean, I had a dream out of grad school to be a working artist and be a professor. No, because that's what they teach you. That's the only model. And the lived experience obviously was not very pleasant. 
Um, because they also didn't want to move out of California, you know, Los Angeles. Yeah. Competitiveness is hard. Yeah. I mean, Cami and I talk a lot about that because that's, you know, both of us learned that too. We learned that if you want to be a, a practicing artist, then you're probably going to be a professor um, mm -hmm. and you'll move to wherever the job is. And if you get lucky, you might end up in a great town or you might be yep. in Manhattan, Kansas, where I lived for a year. <laughs> I think especially uh, in ceramics. Yeah. Especially in ceramics. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's for, like so many of the good schools are in not great places in ceramics too, um, to name Alfred. Um, uh, but, that's where you went, right, Gus? Yeah, yeah that's where, yeah, I, I went there for grad school, but I went to undergrad in Missoula, Montana, and I oh. still have, still have dreams of going back there. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think like Cami and I, you know, Cami went the professor route. She taught at Pratt for a long time. Um, I only made it one semester being a professor. Um, and I had to bail on it. Um, Why did you bail? Why did, what was it? What was the, it just, it like, both of you, I have a question for, about yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I, for me, it was the year after I finished grad school and I just like, I needed to get out of being in school. Um, and I, like, I missed my friends so much. I went from having all my friends around me all the time to not having any friends. And, um, I was like really struggling to make ends meet. I was living in Fort Collins, which is expensive. Yeah. And teaching adjunct doesn't pay that great. And um, just, I also thought I had always wanted to live in like New York or LA. So I figured it was a good time to try it. But Cami, like really, yeah, you put some real time in. Yeah, I taught for a while. I taught for like years at Pratt, but they had me become the area coordinator as an adjunct. And so I was oh. work, yeah, it was a really <laughs> bad, bad deal. So I was working 40 hours a week at least. And I made $19,000 a year. And I don't know if I signed an NDA. Anyway, it doesn't matter because like come come after me. Like come get it. Yeah, but, come get the nineteen thousand. Yeah, like so they they just kept asking more of me. And uh yeah, I just was working Without more. Yeah, yeah, man, I was working more than like my full-time coworker, my peers. So it was and they knew it was like everyone knew it was happening. And then I had a nervous breakdown and left in the middle of semester. For a while, like yeah, I did think like that was the only way to go, but now I don't think of that at all. There's yeah. so many different routes. There's so many paths. There's so yeah. many. I ended yeah. up getting like one order from a major retailer for necklaces. And I was like, wait, this is like, I made this in two weeks time, the money and the necklaces. That was double the amount of a teaching job. I was like, the writing is on the wall. The yeah. thing that I miss the most is my mentors. Like my other colleagues at the UC system, like Jim Iserman and Amir Zaki and all these amazing people at UC Riverside were just incredible. But like the frequent, they call it the frequent flyer, freeway flyers here in LA. <laughs> we just like drive from oh. one end of the earth to the next to get these jobs. And it's just like, it's exhausting. Yeah. 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 I'm really so, happy that you said that. I think yeah. people just need to hear the perspective. And know? sometimes it really works for people. And I just, yeah. and I also am not, that into the myth that a lot of these programs make artists, young artists believe that they can make it or whatever that means. Like I would love that all, if all artists degrees, BFA, MFA, whatever came with a business degree or like knew how to use QuickBooks or like an accounting system or like something Yeah, because it's rough out there. You, oh yeah. 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 I mean, like I, that's knowledge. This like hard yeah. 
knowledge that artists don't, and I see it every day with my 15 workers, like, you know, the knowledge that they gain here and the hard and soft skills, like they have to learn on the job, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I know. I, um, anytime I talk to someone that's still in school, I'm always like, just go to every department, like try and learn a tiny bit of 3d modeling somewhere and try and learn how to build a website and learn how to use a table saw. And then you can just, yeah. Yeah. But that's also true. As you're saying that you, you need to know, like, you need to know Adobe Creative Cloud, how to make brilliant social media posts, how to use CAD, how to use 3D Potter, how to make a perfect mold, how to, you know, like Photoshop image, like you have to know everything today. It's like, I mean, it's so crazy. Or you surround yourself with people who know those things and uh, they do that. (laughs) Because I don't, I'm not, I, I can do the financial and the the and entrepreneurial like big picture stuff and the engineering part of the clay and how to build things. But when it comes to like digital renderings, I'm like, Oh no, no, no you do that. You do, you know. <laughs> yeah. Can I ask you, like, do you have like a sales side? Like, are you like a hard and fast salesman? You know, like you're really selling yourself. Yeah. We have in-house an admin side of our practice. So when I say 15 people, we have several people that are just on the admin side that are not fabricators or part of like the chain. So we have a, um, an assistant director of sales and operations. Her name is Natalia Kotlova and she's been with us for a couple of years now. And, um, she handles all sales. That used to be my job. Yeah. And I don't do it anymore. (laughs) And I love making sales. There's something very empowering to be able to make your own living. Right. And I love talking to clients, but I had to find a way obviously to find my ego somewhere else. Right. So, um, (laughs) so it's all Natalia. She's incredible. And we're just actually just trying to keep up with this, the the success that she has. Cause obviously I'm so, you know, bifurcated with so many different, jobs that it's so great to have a dedicated sales salesperson um and uh the success of her success with that role has we've just grown exponentially we just need we we're, we're hiring right now like we just need more fabricators yeah our lead times That's are so, so cool i'm talking about yeah. the b side right yeah so. like maybe i just wasn't aware of them before but like you show with the future perfect which i used to work for a guy who chris wolston who yeah Um, yeah, you know, I kind of put you two sometimes in, in sort of like the same camp in my head of like, yeah, um, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) I think you would think so too. Um, (laughs) but, uh, has the future perfect always been sort of pushing this kind of work in places like our in company? Cause it, at least to, to me, like, I just didn't know people that were making this sort of, sort of like high-end design object, uh, you know, made one at a time, but like, especially you and Chris both do a similar thing where it's like, you can go on the website and you can find the object and you can order it. And then obviously there's going to be quite a bit of variation because someone's probably going to sit down and make that piece. Um, yeah, which is, I don't know, it's really cool. And I, and I love like what people are able to do with it now. I, I don't know the exact history of collectible design. I can't like speak on its historical nature and I'm, but you know, there are whole departments and museums that are dedicated to, you know, decorative arts as, you know, the Met and LACMA and stuff. And so, yeah. but I'd say that in my experience so far within this is that I didn't even, 
because I'm not trained as a designer I'm, and I'm trained as a sculptor and a painter. And so I'm learning on the job and um, Future Perfect was, um, it's a great partnership and I plan to be working with them for a very long time. They're extremely supportive, not only um, creatively, but monetarily. Um, and I have like such creative freedom with them and they are um, just very generous with their time. And David and Laura and the whole sales team are just really have it together. And their presentations are gorgeous. Um, and being with them has helped our, you know, helped our business tremendously um, because they have a certain platform that I can't reach. And I also don't know if I want to have a client that can buy a $6,000 table. Like I just don't have the sales team and the reach that a presentation space like a Future Perfect um, attracts. And that's fine. Yeah. I'm happy with those kind of partnerships. Um, they have a different kind of reach then we can, but there's always a trickle down. Like if um, a certain interior designer buys from Future Perfect, we don't sell all, we don't sell everything we sell with them. They will yeah. also buy certain things out of our personal B-Zippy line. So, um, or ask for custom stuff. So we share a lot of clients actually. Um, but cool. I'd say that I didn't go into making production pottery um, as a way to be like, I'm going to work future perfect. I discovered the landscape of collectible design while doing trade shows, like being in the sight unseen show in, you know, I don't know, 2015 and 16 and 14 and all these years of like, and being like learning who the players were at the moment. Um, it was a lot different than going to art school and like knowing what museums you should show at and knowing what shows you should be in and knowing what galleries this was a more lived experience and I'd never had a goal to be like so successful in that way. So I guess there was a lot less pressure to um, like, I was, I wasn't intimidated. I was like, Hey, David. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, and he's like, Oh, hi. You know, after I figured out who he was and, you know, developed a relationship, I definitely wanted to work with him and there was a courtship there and it took many, many years, but it also took, me gaining the dexterity with my own own work in order to to make something that was special enough to separate from my normal line does that make sense so yeah i think yeah. he set he set a lot of the tone of like design high design in the early aughts early to mid aughts like if you think about like jason miller antler chandeliers like he made that you know famous for jason miller like really Lindsay Edelman. Launch yeah. It. Yeah. 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 All that stuff. Yeah. Um, he's, and he is, he's ever changing, David. Like he's always thinking about what the next move is, what's the next house. Like um, he's always like searching and looking and like reading and excited. And like, he just kind of never stops. And to me, that's exciting. And it's also like, you have to set, obviously with any dealer, you have to make sure you have your own boundaries with your own capacity and to make sure that, you know, you, you can talk to people as humans, you know, rather than the hype of it all. Right. In the end. So that makes uh, sense. Yeah. Yeah. That, that sounds perfect. I wanted to ask you, how much does California, just a little shift, like how big of a player is California in your sort of aesthetic? Or I feel like 
you seem so California. Well, well, well like maybe like tell me why. Well, there's a little bit of a mid-century modern influence Absolutely. maybe. Absolutely. And then, and I feel, you know, if you want to like, like eke right into Memphis a little bit too, but but definitely I feel like California. Yeah, but I, I, I kind of had the same feeling and I was like shocked when I saw that when I was like reading uh, your bio this morning and I was like, oh, she grew up outside of Chicago? Like, yeah. So I guess the question is how long does it take to be a Californian? <laughs> to, to wash your <laughs> Chicago. Oh, well, how I, does the sun hitting your skin yeah. feel? Oh, yeah. You see my skin right now? Like, I same. Uh, I'm pale as fuck and I count <laughs> as you people because I don't go out in the sun. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? I'm allergic to the sun, literally, in many, many fronts. Like, beach? No, 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 no. <laughs> so I'm still a Midwesterner at heart. Um, I would say in terms of, you know, tone and drive, Chicago definitely has that for me. Um, but I grew up in a family where my dad collected objects, everything from like a Haywood Wayfield bedroom set that I grew up living with and in my childhood bedroom to um, going to, you know, the Art Institute of Chicago to him collecting Bakelite radios and wearing like really, um, he was really a dapper dresser. So he like, he, he wore like teal, like, um, um, like gabardine suits and like two-tone shoes. He was like kind of a, kind of like just really dapper. And like, we went to, we came out here a couple times as a family and like, on Melrose and he would, he owned actually a, um, uh, reefer. He's no longer, he passed, uh, 22 years ago, but he, he owned like a refurb electronic warehouse. Like he owned his own company. And so he, but he was obsessed with like collecting objects and he should have been an architect, which my brother is. But so we'd come out here and like in the eighties and he'd be like, I really want this Charlie Chaplin radio. Can I trade you like a new fax machine? And the guy would be like, okay. And it was like the size of like a table here, you know? And he was always kind of doing that stuff, but like this outfit, right? And this like kind of California outfit, like he wore a t-shirt underneath it. He wore these beautiful like pins and stuff. And like, he kind of always had that flair. And like, I think I definitely got my sense of color from him and like being able we'd go to up to wisconsin all over the country just to find these objects and i'd have to go through the aisles of the of the out these outdoor um you know flea markets and like scour the tables and like scan everything and be like okay dad would like this and like <laughs> grab him and like he'd help me he'd be like oh yeah that i have that but let's think about like try to look for this thing so he also owned cookie jars too um no and way. i have a collection we sold a lot of them when he passed, but, and then I discovered the Andy Warhol also collected. Yeah, that's why too. I was, yeah, that's like fascinating. So, so my aesthetic really comes from that Chicago in general is like very gray, obviously in the winter, most of the time. And, but I think that sensibility of pop um, in terms of early cookie jars and that kind of sensibility of mid, you know, modernism and uh, mid-century modernism, especially like, We'd go on architecture tours like to Frank Lord Wright or these other places all over the country just to see these houses. And so um, we were a straight up middle class family from the suburbs of Chicago. You know, there's nothing special about us in terms he just had this really keen interest. Like we'd he'd sometimes pretend that we were buying a house and we'd go to like Evanston and <laughs> it was an open house and he'd be like, okay, okay, Pinna, Pinna and Yiddish is like beautiful girl. He'd be like, okay, Pinna, we're gonna go in. 
me and my brother, he'd be like, we're going to go in and we're going to pretend we're going to buy this house and we just want to see it. We want to see the, what it's like, what, what, what the architecture is, like what the decoration is. And we like fake having to buy the house. We'd be like, yes, please give, oh, please. I'd love the, the information on the house. Yes, my realtor will definitely call you. And he's like, what do you think about this room, Pena? And, you know, it's just like this funny, you know, That's so we sweet. do these funny things and, you know, I yeah. thought we're normal. So, yeah. 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 Mine is like a little bit more ex- excusable, I guess, but my, I, we did that a lot growing up, but my dad was a builder. So it was like mm-hmm. slightly more. Opposite <laughs> yeah. Side. yeah. Yeah. Breaking but, into construction sites. and <laughs> Yeah. Digging around. <laughs> yeah. But really I fun. think coming to California only like obviously um, solidified, you know, my interest. I mean, the desert, the desert landscape is a huge part of who I am now i mean i got married out in the desert and we spent a lot of time out in the desert in joshua tree um the landscape also of just driving across the city i go from east la up to altadena which is about a half an hour drive to drop my son at the school and then i drive through a canyon to get through the valley to my studio it's about an hour loop but like to go from like such an urban to suburban to like rural to like shithole you know it's all it's all like in an hour you've pretty crazy like loop of of color of you know hand-painted signs and it's just it's pretty wild yeah um I want to ask about the studio that you share with your son because I saw your post on Instagram about it (laughs) is is that is that his space back there (laughs) yeah this is a tiny little table um I'll bring some I'll show you some of his work um cool Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Nice. Well, all these, all these, because I know everyone's listening, not watching. Um, <laughs> yeah. So we have some little ceramics by my son, Lawrence, and um, he's turning eight in July and he's in second grade. During the pandemic, we ended up, he ended up, you know, spending a lot of time in my studio for obvious reasons and no one was there. It was just me and him. And we ended up having a project where we made a replica of a house and like, I just needed him to do something while I could get something done. I was like, Make yeah. more, make more, make a stove, make you know, this whole project. But in the meantime, he also, we work together on just like taking extra parts of things that are left over in our bins, um, extruded bins. And he makes sculptures. And, um, it's a, it's a way for us to obviously spend time together. He's also really needs that like sensory, all of us clay people. He really, um, responds well to, He's like sensory seeking. He's that like way to work with his hands and like clay is just, it's the way to go. Perfect. Yeah. It's perfect. Yeah. So I have a private studio for the first time in 20 years within our studio and my son put this stick it note on my door that said, be zippy and son only stay out. (laughs) Oh, wow. So, and it's like, in his like cryptic second grade handwriting. And um, so when we just did the vinyl for the whole studio, we had the idea of putting like Lawrence's name on the door and he was so happy. Yeah. yeah. Like Barry's a pristine studio that the boss and Lawrence. So that would, that would make me so happy as a kid too. Yeah. Yeah. He also did like, we worked on all the knob, the pull knobs. There's one here, but I don't know if you can see, but um in the kitchen area like we made these little mushrooms and stuff so he, oh, cool. he comes here it's only on the weekends because he's you know in school but yeah yeah oh so you just moved your studio how terrible was that <laughs> terrible was that we actually signed a lease in july and didn't move into october because just building out a nine thousand square foot studio is not an easy feat 
and to stop production, you know, is yeah. like, when do you find the time to do that? Um, we had multiple movers, multiple moves. Um, the kilns were the last thing to go, as you can imagine. And each department would move a different week. So like pre-production moved first and then, you know, then this department moved and then this, yeah, it was like very intense. We had it all planned out. That's kind of amazing. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's insane. Yes. Yeah. So you have your own studio, but before you just worked out in the open with everyone watching or is... Yes. Yes. I had like a view line partition thing, like a folding screen. But to, to tell you the truth, I like really spent more time in my office, um, which was basically a closet to convert a closet that I'd like to shut the door. But now I'm able to like close my door and design and take off my mask. Or if I want to have a private meeting with one of our um, lead fabricators, I can like go in there and just talk to them about how to engineer this piece or thinking about engineering or um, work side by side with them in that kind of way. Yeah. It's so nice to have a private studio. I yeah. can't even describe. Mm -hmm. How do you, how do you split up your time between the two practices or do you? Do I? Yeah. That's a really good question. As I spent <laughs> last night till one in the morning making sconces for our studio for an upcoming <laughs> photo shoot. So um, it's based on deadline. I'd say. Okay. Yeah. So ideally I'd like to get to a point where I never have to make production again, that I just make the, the design, the, you know, the first sketch, I have someone make a rendering and then we figure out the cut list and I make the prototype, right. Um, either in a maquette or in a big form. Um, and then I only make my art. That would be the most ideal thing. We're almost there. It's yeah. just that Natalia is so successful. It's a good problem, but still. Yeah. Do you, you design all the, all your pieces first actually on paper and then yeah, everything's yeah. on paper. Everything's on sketch. Um, and then I talk to my lead fabricator. I talk to Natalia, my other lead in Kilman Glaze, who does. So I have to think about who does the renderings. I have to think about, um, obviously I'm designing backwards. So I'm thinking about um, how things are going to be fired, right? I'm like, I can't design something that's going to collapse. I'm sure you guys think about that all the time. Gus, I mean, with your stuff, you're probably always thinking about how it's going to fire because yeah. <laughs> because yeah. it could just yeah yeah I really love that part of it too but um that's actually my yeah. favorite part yeah. the backward engineering like yeah. I'm like oh, okay building okay but like the engineering portion is like my favorite yeah I really like it too so in terms of how I split my time it's really based on deadline okay. um and um, I, I have a show up right now at Bellmeter in Los Angeles, a solo show. And um, that took too short of a time to make. And it was all hands on deck. And um, I had to hire some painters to help paint, to glaze the work. I usually, that's one another portion I really, I love the painting portion, but I couldn't do all the painting myself because the pieces were just so large scale too. And do you try to keep it in the functional furniture realm? Like, I know you're separate lines, but, and then I'm like wondering about your love for like furniture, actually. Yes. And the, for the bees of design portion of the collectible design. Yes. I needed to be functional. Yes. Right. Because um, that we're a ceramic furniture company, right? So that's like our mission, right? Is to make beautiful, innovative ceramic furniture and tabletop wares. So I, obviously that influence of how to build 
and how to think about engineering absolutely influences the fine arts. I mean, how could it not? I mean, my work, my fine art work is about the built environment. So it's like almost like the objects that I'm producing for the B-Zippy line is like objects that might live inside of the sculptures if the sculptures were a building, right? If, I, if there was like a metaphor for that. So it's all about the built environment. And if it's from the objects that live in our houses to the actual room that the objects live in, so. Should we hit her with the, our listener question? Our serious listener question, yeah. Oh my God, you got, you got listener questions? How did this, wait, how do you get listener questions? You just Through ask? Instagram. People yeah, they... occasionally just ask us questions about uh, how to do things. I actually oh. have a, another weird one too. Oh no, let's go first. No, you, you go first. Were they okay. specific? Were they like, you're interviewing Barry? No, they don't know. No. They're going to be like, whoa. <laughs> Usually just Gus and I answer them, but I thought this one specifically would I'm going to be, be moving into you. my first so. real studio and wanted to know if there's anything you would have done different when setting up your workspace, knowing what you know now. Also, are there things I might need, but most people don't think of? And what kind of table and shelf surfaces are the best for a clay studio? P.S. Um, he just like really says um, how wonderful and sweet and amazing and talented we are. You, I don't need to read it all. Because <laughs> <laughs> you've but, read it many times. I yeah. keep reading it, but yeah, we're fine. Uh, thank you, Jonah, for the question. Okay, so. I would say, um, I'll just start with like the practical stuff. Like I, we use a lot of drywall. Like oh. we cut down drywall, we get giant sheets of drywall and cut it down to specific sizes for surfaces. It's great, obviously, to soak up moisture of clay, depending on your hand building or throwing. We only hand build here or extrude so and slab, slab built. So we love drywall here and we just tape the sides. You want to make sure never to have plaster in your clay. It's really important. Mm -hmm. um, great advice. Very important. We also use something called like, Melomine is that what it, I don't know it's like this surface we have these giant tables um, yeah like it's like a particle like board with a laminate on top yes of it. exactly yeah. it's just white and I love when everything's just like the same material so you don't have to like think about the table it's just like we have five of those right and like yeah we do use a lot of uline stuff hate uline sorry uline politics yeah. but um we do use a lot of their um you know racks and stuff like that I'd say early on, just make sure you have um, some air filtration system or some sort of like airflow system. And also if you, when you have a slop sink, please put a clay trap on the bottom <laughs> because your landlord is not going to be happy with you over time. <laughs> As this we all know. Is, this is Under good advice for me. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, I don't have a, oh, uh, okay. Yeah. I better get out of that. Um, I think the only thing that I would do differently for my own self is just buy what you need at the time. Like, don't think I might need this in the future. Don't spend money on things. That's so yeah. stupid because I have so many just random ugh, tools and just like, I'm like, whoa, what? It's like, ooh, a tool. I get mesmerized. I'm like a little child. I'm like, ooh, that tool. My juice. And I, I always go to the same five things. You know, it's just like, oh my God, why do I have to? Oh, no, we want to hear what are the same five? What are the tools like? I mean, every mud tool is incredible. We use yeah. like every rib. 
I've just discovered the tiny ribs that are just like an inch and a half. I don't know. Those have like revolutionized our studio, like to get in the tiny little areas. Yeah. I mean, mud tool is, it's made by a clay person. So of course the tools are exact. He's like, I'm going to invent tools. We also invent tools here. Like we need like a different grip because it's not like aerodynamic, you know, you know, ergonomic, not aerodynamic. Oh my God. (laughs) You're building so fast. (laughs) Yeah. It's not so fast. So, um, (laughs) <laughs> we like make like grips out of wood we have a woodworker that cool. stuff like that yeah do you ever think about getting like a laser do you have a laser cutter or are you gonna no get no it? interest we have other we can outsource that kind of stuff yeah we don't yeah and what about are you ever gonna try to work with 3d printing no interest at this time i feel like that's a whole other studio i'm too in love with the rudimentary cutting and building yeah, I, I just technology in terms of clay is I think it's fascinating and I bought work by people who use that. But it's just for me, like the most I think the most like tech, technological thing I have is our slab roller, which is like <laughs> Bailey slab roller is not, you know, it's it's you, you roll with a wheel. It's like, pretty high tech. Wow. It's, yeah, it's pretty uh, high tech there. Uh, yeah, I mean, I uh, one thing that I, I uh I feel like I'm always trying because I part of my job here at Brooklyn Clay is like we have a dinnerware line that we make and then we make some like um, we make like these big umbrella holders and some other we make some lamps and things like that. And anytime I think about having to make more than a couple of something, my my mind always goes straight to like, well, how do I cast it or press mold it, even though I'm not like I don't have a mold making background until a couple of years ago really really bad mold maker um and but i at some point i i think i saw and maybe i made this up but i think i saw a picture from the b zippy studio that was like a three ring binder and it had pictures and it'd be like extruded it was almost looked like um lego instructions where it was like these are the parts you need this is where you cut them and then this is how you stick them together and (laughs) it's so it's real it's so real. good. Yeah. We have spent the last five, six years making manuals. So every single piece, every collection has a manual. So I'm to I, I was like, so how, cool. do I, how am I sovereign from the production? Like, how do I not take everything that's in my brain or old lead? Like, how do I get all that information out? And so, like, I'm not training every single person. So Every single collection has its a 3D rendering with a cut list of wet dimensions and dry dimensions. It has different shrinkage rates for red clay versus high fire stoneware. Um, we work so hard. It still needs improvement. Like I can't even tell you, but because every time we switch a clay body or we move or the humidity in the air and like it tells you how to dry it, it tells like everything you can even imagine. Um, um, it's a way to streamline its operations. Yeah, and that's what Natalia has also helped with incredibly. So does that mean that your your even your old work is never like you're never done making it? You there you can still like everything is still in continuance or available. We do weed out. We do have discontinued lines, that's what I'm trying to but say. we just keep it in a different binder because we do have clients who like want it and like it has to be at a certain price to yeah. get out of the archives right um and it depends on the volume right you know right. so and who it is and all those kinds of things 
these are good caveats to put on it so you don't get an email that's like i want one of these and oh yeah one, we don't uh, yeah if you still yeah. make a necklace or a coaster we're like eh. no. <laughs> i was like i can send you links to so many amazing coasters and necklaces and here's where you go so um <laughs> like if i die which i will at some point right um the the manuals is how the business continues maybe with new designs maybe, maybe based on what we the ethos or the, of the taxonomy of shapes that we have but if i ever wanted to sell the company or a portion of the company that's what you sell you sell you sell the intellectual property that's it yeah that's exactly <laughs> how it works you're absolutely that's how, it that's how it worked has worked for hundreds of years yeah so <laughs> I just, I just, I just want to sneak one, one quick. Um, When I, when I was a kid, my dad was a carpenter. Is he recently retired? And I, and I remember talking to him. Like some friend of mine, their parents, I think, must have just sold their their business. And so I, I asked, I asked my dad, uh, like, you know, when he was going to sell his company. And he he just tried to explain to me that like, there's nothing, there's like some old saws and that's it. There's no, yeah. 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 It's like a software company. Yeah, Yeah. I think, I think I just knew that people like sold companies. And so I was like, well, you know, he's got a lot of something. (laughs) Yeah, that's cool. I, I think that the binder is like so amazing. Um, Yeah. It's, we have lots of plans also to even go further, like digitizing. And I mean, we have, yeah. we have um, production schedules and Google sheets and like, it's just, it, we use Salesforce. We use, you know, we just were, we have a CRM system and we're kind of like any other um, business. We just happen to be, we have an HR consultant, like all those kinds of things. We have healthcare here where everyone has a contract and a title and like all these kind of benefits that the workers yeah. Um, workers rights are super important to me because I did not have that or that stability growing up in LA in that kind of my 20s and 30s so um, we're kind of like any other traditional business in terms of bureaucracy which I really I favor that in terms of if it's like favored towards the workers rights but we just happen to be in the arts Um, so sometimes there's a big shift when employees come to work for us because they're just not used to having, you know, like having, um, a say or, or even it's, it's a little too tight for them to work. You know, they're used to more loose, you know? Yeah. 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 I think that has taken me a long time to learn to that. Um, cause I always worked these like loosey goosey yeah. jobs, you know? Yeah. yeah. And it's like, but if you set those boundaries early on, you can have a way better yeah relationship with people so that they know okay you actually have to show up on time for this job um, <laughs> you set expectations yeah. right I mean you're yeah. like you're gonna get paid I've never been late for a paycheck ever yeah I mean and that is like that is huge too because I think so often especially in the arts it's like you end up in these jobs where you might really believe in the person that you're working for and what they're doing and then all of a sudden you're waiting like two months to get paid for something and you know it it gets really it starts to get really tricky really fast yeah we don't we we're like the antithesis of every stereotype of what an artist studio is because we're somewhere between like micro manufacturing and an artist studio Um, yeah so yeah 
Um, okay, the question that I had, somebody just wrote in and they're asking specifically about how you make big flat pieces, which I know you don't do that often, but how do you deal with just making really big pieces? And did you do it before you had a team of people to help you like flip things over and stuff like that? Or is it something that like, as the team grew, your work could then, I know you were saying that's like the studio had to grow so that your work could grow, but yeah, yeah, totally. Um, Okay. So, I mean, first, I guess it just starts off with like, just how to even make flat pieces that stay flat. Yeah. And then like throughout the whole process, like the drying, the kiln, the, you know, it's like you have to make a flat thing and then you have to make a cookie for the flat thing. And then it's just like this. And then the, the memory of the clay, you know, it's just like yeah. the whole process. It's like how we compress the clay and how the, we flip the boards. It's, I feel like with every new assistant that we used to get, there used to be like a knowledge base. Cause they went to these art schools like Alfred or Long Beach and they'd be like, Oh yeah, this is how you dry a large flat piece of clay. And I was like, I didn't learn that because I went to Cal arts. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and I also wasn't making um, uh, large clay pieces at Ohio university. I was making teapots and other shit. So, um, so I think I learned and also through books like that um, there's just amazing, amazing, like that um, European ceramic workshop book. Yeah. I, that yeah. The so ceramic practical. process. Yeah. It's, I think I brought mine. Um, I think I brought mine home, but usually it's sitting like right where I no, am because it's, it's too precious like, now. Yeah. But you can also just, I mean, just asking people like, but yeah. so yes, it's very important for me because I mean, there are artists um, who make giant pieces, then they're alone in their studio. What's the artist? He's out in Athens, Ohio, but doesn't, isn't affiliated with the university. Um, he shows at LA Louver. Matt Weedell or something. Thank you. Yes. Matt Weedell. Yes. So he makes all that work alone and he has like, he has like levers and levers and I don't even know <laughs> what, like cantilever yeah. or what he does. It's an, it's unbelievable how he does it all by himself. That, that Matt Waddell video where he's like, lifting the piece out with like an overhead gantry it's so crazy unbelievable yeah we don't have a forklift here but like <laughs> i i understand how important those tools are but um we're really um maybe i'm just just naive i just like flip it i'm like flip it <laughs> <laughs> yeah but that that kind of it's like i'm that just like attitude. i'm like well <laughs> Yeah, I know, but it It needs to go to be built upside down and then we need to flip it. So we need to find a way to do this. And we're strong. There's multiple (laughs) people here. Yeah, but yeah, I didn't like, there was so much stuff that I just assumed I couldn't build because I, someone at some point had told me that I, you couldn't do it that way. And then when I started working for Chris Walston, really often he'd be like, we're going to do this. And I'd be like, it's not going to work. And then, you know, he'd be like, well, why? Like, oh, I, I don't know. And then we do it and, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but um, you know, you, you're able to make really crazy work if you start pushing those boundaries a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Like pushing it to the nth degree and like use that collective knowledge from the lived experience of flipping or not flipping or it breaking. And I were like, and also all of our workers have, artisans have such different, vast experience with coming together, you know, we have like a collective knowledge that we can be like, 
Oh, that will work. Okay. Use a cookie, dry it like that. Shove, shove some of this. Okay. Use a fiber blanket. Da, 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 da. You know, it's like, we're constantly like collectively trying to figure out the soup mix. Right. <laughs> so yeah. Best yeah. practices, I guess. Right. Yeah. Um, as we're wrapping up, um, I wanted to know what you thought of the clay pop show. What the, the scene, the <laughs> biggest thing to happen to ceramics. That was so exciting. Yeah. In probably the history of ceramics in New York city. Stop it. Are you joking? Not even a little bit. Okay. But I've lived I think here for so I've lived here for 25 years. Okay. Maybe. Tell me more of your perspective. Cause Gus, we saw each other there. Yeah. Well, I, I was going to say, I, I think it was massive, but so much of it too was I hadn't seen that many people in one space in oh yeah it's like two years. Not. Like I almost cried just seeing that. <laughs> <laughs> and and somehow everybody that I knew leading up to it was like, Are you going to the clay pop show? It, it was the first time I've ever had a team. Yeah. Like everybody that I saw was like, We're going to see ceramics tonight. And it was so exciting. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's as it's as weird yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 cammy was like really really smitten with it um yeah do you want yeah, to talk I mean, more was, about how you <laughs> yeah it was just like a, like for ceramics it was just you know ceramics is so popular and then to see to be i guess maybe a little bit because everyone's been so you know but to see that many ceramicists in one space and that space being jeffrey deutsch and yeah, it was like pretty awesome, I guess. I mean, with any type of survey show, there's always going to be people that are left out. So like I could have named like a hundred yeah. more people that could have yeah. been on the show, my colleagues. And and so there's just like that basic, you know, premise of those kinds of things. Um, I think it was a lot about the exhibition display too, which um, for some artists like myself, I was like, wait, there's a secret carvings inside. Like you can't even like get to my work. So I think like the display was as much part of the exhibition design was as much part of the theme of the show. And so I think that was a hindrance and also a plus for many artists. I think, um, um, so I think it was just a pleasure of also to like, I hadn't flown on a plane in two years and I like yeah. New York for like, and I was like, Oh my gosh, should I go? Should I not go? Should I know? And I like had a week planned and then I, I made it for two days and I was like, <laughs> okay, I'm just going for two days. So look, it's this whole thing. And so I shortened my trip and this whole, you know, it's hard for me to get away also because of family stuff. So anyways, um, I loved being in the context of, having my work in the context of many um, uh, artists of my generation. And then there were just a few artists who were um, in their seventies, but it was also a pleasure to have my work, um, Sally Saul, right? And yeah. the Frimkiss, yeah. Magdalena. Um, and then there was people that I'd never seen their work in person before because I just, don't get out much um, or they just come up come, coming up. Right. And so it was like such a pleasure to be just to say hi and see people. And um, I was really proud of that as well. But um, I think that's one version of clay. Right. So yeah. Have to kind of 
like I'm treading very lightly here. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> Sorry. I, That's I really, okay. That's okay. I really appreciate I, it. We'll I see think. if that even makes, yeah. we'll see if it even makes uh, What? You'll see what? I'll, we'll see if I edit it out. I'm not sure. We'll see. Oh, it's not juicy enough? Yeah. No, no, no. I think no, it I sounds positive any... enough. Yeah, it I think sound... it's good. I think it's fair. Like I, I was so happy about it. I think just because it felt like a, it felt like a big celebration of ceramics and it felt like a, at the time too, it felt like a big celebration of the pandemic being over or like kind of over, um, which it turned out wasn't quite. (laughs) Yeah. Like, were you there when the gate came up? Like, no. Oh my God. It was insane. Like everyone was waiting outside, waiting outside, waiting outside. And it hadn't opened yet. The waiting outside. And all of a sudden, like the rolling dock came up and it was just like, I just looked back. I was like, I'm not going like, like, ooh, like a cattle. Like, and wow. I was like, oh my God, it was so dramatic. It's like yeah. almost like it was. Well, so I had come from, there were like four of us from Brooklyn Clay that went to go see the Ron Nagel show that opened that night. And, and we got to the Ron Nagel show and I was like really excited and it was fun. You know, it was like work ended. The four of us like hung out for a little bit and then went to the show and I was really excited for it. And then we got to the Ron Nagel show and we were the only people there for a while. Like, like it was just completely dead. And so I almost, I was just so let down by it. that mm-hmm. I almost just went home and then you know, my brother and was like, like, let's, we'll go to, like, we'll go to Clay Pop. It'll be fun. So we went to Clay Pop. And as we were walking down the street, I thought that there must be a nightclub on the block or something. <laughs> exactly. just, yeah. yeah. That was crazy. Yes. Yeah. And that was like really what I needed, I think was just to, but yeah, I, I, I also like hardly saw the work cause I just saw everybody that I knew. Um, totally. and oh, to there was, it was, there was there actual pieces of the show. Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I didn't about? see any work. I just I mean, saw some I awesome say, outfits. I would say the Ron Nagel work is like blows all the work from clay bob out of the water no, <laughs> no like oh, sorry but okay as wow. a ron nagel fan like yeah i'm a big ron nagel fan I mean, yeah we all are yeah. just like sorry i'm gonna fan out right now but yeah. uh, i mean punk rock you know musician to you know doing what he does so yeah. but i would have to say that you know going from being so isolated as we were for so long making our work that i'd almost rather be in a ron nagel show with no one there than having yeah. a hype around I'm very uncomfortable with like the art world hype. I mean, that's what you get with Jeffrey Deitch, you know, that kind of hype right. around the work. So it's not, it's not like it's unexpected. It's just, I haven't experienced it in my, my generation or um, so I'm just not into necessarily like my practice has, I mean, I've been working in the arts for t- over 20 years and it's been a, a very slow and steady career. And so I'm like, I'm kind of like flabbergasted by that kind of, um, like dramaticness of that like and like stage theatrics of a kind of opening you know yeah just, I mean I know it exists but I was like what's happening I like actually stood back I was like I'm in the show like, it's, like <laughs> it was, that's I think you're right it was I think that's why it was so crazy for me because ceramics has never been the, at the center of such a big spectacle I, you're yeah so that was it's shot it was shocking and here in LA, it is like there are so many, there's been so many historic shows on ceramics here and galleries have been really pushing to, um, you know, show more ceramics. Like the movement here is like, it's in the fine art context. So 
it's been happening for a long time, but to see it at that, it almost, I don't know. I have some thoughts about that. So yeah, yeah at that yeah. level. So we want to thank you so much for doing the podcast. It was so great. So fun. So fun. Yeah, so fun. It was such a pleasure to talk to you. I wanted, I was going to come up to you at the show and introduce myself. And then I was like, uh, <laughs> no. You should yeah, always, that's another good thing of advice. You should always go up to your, I love meeting people. Like I was going to ask know, you, do it, just do it. I, but I, I was going to ask you that. And then I was like, well, if she says it on the podcast, then all these people are going to be like, I heard you on the podcast and you, I did said that come up and introduce and you're going to be like, oh, you introduced yourself to me. Yeah, I did. And it was really, I felt really um, like that was another thing that I just hadn't done in two years. You know, I really had to, to dust myself off a little bit and remember how to introduce myself to a stranger. Yeah, um, you were I was saying it's a Sharif and you were like, yeah. Your so I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah, that was really nice. That was a fun yeah. night. It was uh, yeah. Well, yeah, thanks a lot. It was really nice to talk to you. Um, and I love living with your work. It Ooh, makes me love. so happy. Ooh, that's good because if she hated it, it would be like, <laughs> yeah, <she's> like <laughs> <laughs> secondary market this yeah, thing without him knowing. Like, I'm like, oh my God, his work has gotten so much more complicated. I feel like I was like, I need, I was like, now I need a more like. You got like the most complicated one at the time too. I know. I was like, now I need yeah. more. And I was like, yeah. wait a minute. I was like, wait, he did what? You're constantly surprising me. That's, oh, That's wow. really nice. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Hey. I, I really okay. appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so time. much for your time. Bye. Bye guys. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Bye. What an episode, right? Banger. Total banger. Thanks to Rob Lorenz and big, big thanks to Barry Zipperstein. You're such an inspiration. And thanks to you guys for listening. If you have any questions, you can go to KamiKlamako.com and just go to the contact page and ask your question there, just like Rob did. Um, Talk to you guys next time. Bye. Yeah, Gus, like, you can come back anytime. Anytime. Literally, like...